Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, and welcome to the Heredity Podcast. I'm your host, James Bergen. Today is all about koalas. Their cute wee faces, their big noses, and their detailed population genomics and phylogenetics. We are, after all, a genetics journal. And today we're introducing big changes to the podcast. We've been back for a couple of months now, and we've been listening to the feedback that you've been providing. You wanted more regular episodes, you wanted each episode to be dedicated to a single paper, and we're going to provide you both of those things. From now on, we'll be releasing two episodes a month, with each one featuring a detailed discussion of a single heredity paper. And, as I said... Today we are all about koalas. Specifically, we're discussing the recently accepted paper Genomic Comparisons Reveal Biogeographic and Anthropogenic Impacts in the Koala, a dietary specialist species distributed across heterogeneous environments. This paper has created quite the buzz on Twitter, so I caught up with lead author Shannon Kielsen from James Cook University in North Queensland, Australia, to find out what all the fuss is about. Koalas are a very iconic Australian species, and when people think of Australia, they think of these cute, cuddly, fluffy marsupials, but Koalas are also quite an interesting species because they are what we call a dietary specialist. So they only eat eucalyptus leaves. There's about 120 species of eucalypts that they will actually eat. But within a specific area, koalas may only eat one or two species. And that's largely because they have taste preferences. So if these couple of species that they like in a particular area go extinct or are no longer there because of habitat clearing or something like that, then these animals can essentially starve. Um, So this is quite a big concern in Australia because we do have quite significant land clearing going on. One of the really interesting things that you mentioned in there is the clearances of habitat. Because early on in your paper, you discuss a really interesting history of interactions between humans and koalas that may be shaping their population structure and the genetics that you're looking at. What are the major ways that humans have been interacting with koalas? Well, unfortunately, koala-human interactions have not really been very nice. When the English came to Australia, they started hunting koalas quite heavily, and there was a massive international fur trade. This essentially wiped out a lot of the natural populations across Australia, particularly in the southern regions. So even though now hunting has been stopped completely, we still have a lot of other issues. So land clearing is one of the most significant threats to koalas, in my opinion at least. Recently, there's been new plots of land opened up in New South Wales, so around the Sydney region, for farming and agriculture, which obviously we do need. But there is a big concern because a lot of this falls on prime koala habitat. So it's it's quite a big concern for conservationists and anybody who loves koalas, really. Does not sound like we have treated them particularly nicely. No, not at all. <laughs> 
So you mentioned the diversity within koala populations and kind of leads nicely onto the genetics, I guess. Um, mm. So early on in your paper, you mentioned that there have been a couple of smaller studies focused on the population genetics of koalas, but your work is much bigger in terms of geographic scale and data and ambition. So what was it you were really aiming to understand with this work? Well, like you said, previous studies, while they've been very good, obviously, they were just not quite as widespread. So we got some really good snapshots in certain local areas, but there was nothing really done at a species-wide scale. So we weren't really sure how all these populations were connected to one another and what the diversity ranged from across the species. So that was something that we really wanted to look at. We wanted to take a snapshot of the whole of Australia, or at least where they're found, which is largely the East Coast, and examine the levels of diversity in wild populations specifically from northern Queensland all the way down to South Australia. We also wanted to look again at what the connectivity and the genetic structuring between these regions was because that hadn't really been looked at in previous studies. And the third major aim we had for this paper was to look at the phylogenetic relationships between populations. So looking at whether we have one species or whether we have multiple subspecies. So, I mean, you went out, you got all of these samples, you obviously did a lot of lab work to get all your genomic data. So what was it you were finding in terms of the genetic diversity? As far as diversity goes, I guess what we found is what we kind of expected to find in that diversity levels really closely reflected the history within these regions. So in the southern regions, there was a lot of widespread hunting, big population crashes, and a lot of translocations of animals from already introduced populations. So one good example is just outside of Melbourne in Victoria, there is a little island called French Island. And when at the height of this hunting, a few individuals, as few as about 10, were moved from the mainland onto this island and then kind of bred up from there. And then when they were almost wiped out on the mainland, these individuals were then reintroduced to the mainland. So we have kind of two really significant genetic diversity reductions. And that is essentially what we saw when we looked at the mainland populations in the south of Australia, that there was really limited diversity. One exception to this was a region, again, in Victoria called South Gibsland and Streslecki. It's kind of a very mountainous region that is fairly well protected. And we did find a small population there that looks like it may have escaped or some of those population crashes, at least, because we're seeing a lot more diversity in that region. Potentially, that could hold some of the historic diversity that was lost. Similarly, because the northern regions of Australia weren't under as intense hunting pressure. Um, we did see a general trend of increased genetic diversity as we move north. But one of the most interesting things we found was within the Sydney Basin region in the Blue Mountains. It's a protected area, lots of trees, lots of national parks and koalas that are very difficult to find. Interestingly, part of the way we did this was one of my co-authors, Kelly Lee, has a couple of dogs that can sniff out koalas. 
They lead her through the bush and they find fresh koala droppings and she hopefully looks up into the trees and finds these sleeping koalas. And when we did the lab work and the genetic testing on them, we found that it's an incredibly diverse region. So these koalas show characteristics both of the southern regions and the northern regions, as well as some really unique genetic markers. So that was a really exciting find because... It means that maybe this is kind of a reservoir for koala diversity in Australia. And as you said earlier, there's been a bit of debate about the exact sort of subspecies diversity. So I wonder what you're finding in terms of the population structure and whether or not you're finding any evidence for subspecies within koalas. Yeah, so we wanted to assess the validity or not of the original three subspecies groupings. Now, to be honest, when I came into this, after doing a bit of reading of previous genetic studies, I wasn't particularly confident in finding any supporting evidence at all for these three subspecies. But we had to have a look and we wanted to see maybe there was a different kind of grouping. But essentially what we found is that While there are two very shallow divergent groups of koalas, again, splitting at this Sydney region, it's not really divergent enough for us to consider two different subspecies. Obviously, a lot of this work has been done very much thinking in terms of koala population management. So I wonder what you think policymakers should be thinking about in light of your study. Well, one of the really difficult things about managing koalas across Australia is they have such different life histories between northern and southern regions. So diversity is different, environment is different, climate is different. And so this makes it really difficult from a management perspective to put blanket rules down. But at the same time, a lot of the current management hasn't necessarily been informed by a lot of science. So we're hoping that with this study looking at everything across Australia, we hope that government will listen and use this study in their policy and planning in future. Because as I mentioned before, there has been some extra land opened up to agricultural use and I believe mining as well at the moment. And that's quite a big concern because we do have this interesting population and it's not something that I would like to see lost, particularly because we've lost so much already. That was Shannon Kielsen, a PhD candidate at James Cook University in North Queensland, Australia. She is lead author on the recently accepted paper, Genomic Comparisons Revealed Biogeographic and Anthropogenic Impacts in the Koala, a Dietary Specialist Species Distributed Across Heterogeneous Environments. Now, Shannon and I also chatted about koala ecology for quite a long time, and to be honest, we just didn't have time to feature it all. So, I want you to do something for me. I want you to Google these two words, koala and pap. Trust me, you will not be disappointed. Though, you may never look at a koala the same way again. But, I'm afraid that's all we have time for in this episode. Though, remember, you will be hearing from us again later in the month. Heredity is the official journal of the Genetic Society, and part of the Springer Nature Publishing Group. If you want to find out more about the journal, and how you can get your research published in it, head over to www.nature.com forward slash hdy. To keep up to date with the podcast, and find out about breaking heredity news, you can follow us on Twitter, at Heredity Journal. You can also follow the Genetic Society on Twitter, at Gensock UK and find it on Facebook. I'm James Bergen. Tune in next time. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.